Praise God. Well, it's my honor to get to uh, feed you the Word of God today, preach to you from the Word, and uh, glory to God. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles today to Romans, not Romans 8, John 8, John's Gospel, the 8th chapter. You got a little time today? Amen. I'm going to endeavor to preach long, but we want to get some things over to you. This is one of the easiest sermons that I think has ever come to me. Not the easiest, but just flowed easy. You know, you love it when your study and your preparation flows easy. Amen. Amen. Uh, for me, it gives me more confidence and assurance, amen, that you're, you're heading the right way. And uh, you've hit the vein, if you will, that uh, God is endeavoring us to stay in. We've been in a series, if you've uh, not been joining us, if you're new to us, for a number of weeks now, I think this is part number five, according to my records, uh, in a series we're calling The Truth Will Set You Free. And uh, how true that statement is. Amen. Uh, truth will set us free. Lies will bind us up. And uh, not everything is true just because we want it to be. We hope it to be. We wish it to be. Or we heard it to be. For it to be true, it has to be that way in reality. And so here Jesus was on the earth. John is uh, recording in his account of the history and life and teachings and happenings with Jesus. John chapter 8 verse 31. We'll read verse 30 as well. It says, And as he spoke these words, many believed on him. And then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word... You are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen. It goes on and says that if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. Amen. And uh, because our freedom, our liberty, uh, praise God, our wellness, our health, our soundness of mind, all of that is dependent on truth then that means that none of us sitting here today are as free as we could be. Amen. Amen. Because to be free as you could be, as anyone possibly could be, would mean by necessity that you know and are operating and walking in all the truth. But I don't know all the truth. Do you know all the truth? I don't know all the truth. Amen. But I know some truth. I know, enough, I know enough truth to have missed hell. Do, have you encountered and come into enough truth that you've received to miss hell? Well, if not, we're going to give you enough today. Uh, amen. Well, you can miss it for sure. Praise God. And, uh, you know, sickness and disease, that's binding. That's a binding thing. Amen. But the truth that Jesus paid the price for that and the principles in his word of faith and obedience and a life that we can live that will uh, enable us to receive divine help, not just vitamin help. I, I take vitamin help. I'll take doctor help. I'll take all the kind of help I can get. But I, I most am seeking divine help. Amen. 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 And uh, so anyway, you should be a lover of the truth, a seeker of the truth. I think I, I know I did. I quoted it earlier. It's out of 2 Timothy, we're not going there, 1 Timothy chapter 2. That God wants all men to be saved. 
He desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Why? Because, like I said, like Jesus said, it will set you free. Amen. Amen. Today, I want to just jump right in and talk to us today about the truth about the resurrection. That's why we're here. We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus today. And we want to talk about the truth about the resurrection. You know, the the claim, the Christian claim, let's call it that, uh, for a moment, of a resurrection from the dead. That's a big claim. It's a big claim that anyone has ever died dead, 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 I mean dead, buried in the ground, dead, ever came back to life, even to die again, a natural death later on. Much less the Christian claim is that a man who was born in an Israeli town named Nazareth, he was born in Bethlehem, he was raised in Nazareth, lived a life in Israel, was crucified like many others were under Roman conviction and crucifixion, died, was buried in a tomb, and was there a full three days, a full three nights, only then to be revived and to come back from the dead, never to die again. That's a big claim. Now, if it's true, it, it has implications for all humanity of every generation. What are you going to do if you haven't done something already about the Christian claim about the resurrection? I don't believe it. Well, you, why do you not believe it? I just don't. That would be very foolish to do because just listen to me. If the resurrection is true, you cannot say that that doesn't have implications. Number one, that would prove to me beyond all doubt there is a God, friends. There is a God. Only God could take anyone who died and bring them back to life. It's scientifically, right, impossible to do. I'm not talking about a surgeon, you know, uh, who's learned how to shock a heart and get it going again or to massage a heart and get it going again. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about someone who's, you know, if you, if you have, want, know anything about the accounts of Jesus, what he suffered after his arrest, he was beaten. He was, uh, the, the crown of thorns they embedded in his skull, some of those thorns were over an inch long. Uh, just what he suffered at the whipping post killed many. The Bible says that uh, you would have been able to, I'm not trying to be overly graphic with you, but just so you have the reality of it, you would, there would have been no muscle flesh left on his back when they got done. You would have been able to see inside to the back side, through the back of, to his internal organs. This is why Jesus was not able to carry his cross arm to the crucifixion site. You would have been, who could? Then to die on the cross at Roman hands in crucifixion. I mean, that's not just dead, barely dead, maybe you're dead. No, you are dead. Dead. If the tomb is empty and this man from Nazareth was made alive and is alive today, you can't tell me that doesn't have implications for your life. A wise person, a good, knowledgeable, scientifically minded, fair-minded thinking person should think it through. 
and investigate a little bit and find out if the Christian claim of the resurrection is true. For one thing, the Christian claim of resurrection of Jesus from Nazareth separates Christianity from all of the other world religions. All of the other world religions are mere philosophical ideas and concepts. That's all they are. That's all Islam is. That's all uh, Judaism is. That's all um, you know, Buddhism is. All the other new religions, right? Christianity, the Christian faith, the main pillar of truth, amen, is the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those writings are lies. Our faith is vain. We're still in our sins. We have no promise of forgiveness. We have no problem of life after death. There, the, the entire Christian faith hinges on the truth about the resurrection. Amen. Amen. And uh, if you have any thought or concern about the possibility of your soul living forever and ever and ever, amen, then you would want to investigate and find out for yourself about the resurrection. Amen. amen. <clears throat> Praise God. It's like one minister said, the atheist, the agnostic, the critic, the skeptic must come to terms with the Christian claim of the resurrection. To not deal with it would be utter foolishness and a form of dangerous blind denial. So let's talk about the resurrection, is it true, and some of the claims about the resurrection for a moment. Uh, from a historical perspective, the resurrection of Jesus, the man from Nazareth, is one of the most historically documented and provable events of any event before in history. Amen. You do not just need the Bible to prove the resurrection. Jerusalem was a heavily populated city at that time. There was a Jewish, not Christian, not sympathizer of Jesus, historian named Josephus who chronicled much of history in that part of the world at the time that Jesus lived. He documents in his writings the resurrection. In terms of just uh, historical, we, we might not know this. A lot of people are not real interested in history. I found out that the older you get, the more interested in history you become. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, but, uh, you know, you've heard the name like uh, Napoleon Bonaparte or Alexander the Great. Do you believe they lived? You believe the Alexander the, the Great was a great general in uh, Greece, conquered nations. Well, where, what, what, you know, you weren't there. You weren't there. You can't show me a digital image of his picture. How do we know about him? People of that day wrote down what they saw, the battles they witnessed. Amen. They documented it. They wrote it down. Those survived the centuries reached you and me. It's written in books. You read about it or taught about it in school and you believe it, as you should. Amen. If you were to go and pick up the Encyclopedia Britannica, the, Encyclop uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica uses over 20,000 words to describe the history of Jesus. Amen. That's many more words than the history in the Encyclopedia Britannica 
found to be able to use on Aristotle, Cicero, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Buddha, Confucius, Mohammed, or Napoleon Bonaparte, by far. Jesus' life, his teachings, his happening, his death, his resurrection is an unbiblical, if you want it to be that, historical fact. Amen. 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 Then people need to go back and get a proper perspective of what you have here. What is what we call Matthew? What is what we call Mark? What is what we call Luke and John? Turn over there in the book of Luke. It's the book to the left, the very first chapter. Was Luke writing a blog? Was he publishing a scientific volume? Was, it, was he trying to found a new religion? Let's just read this. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us from the beginning, we were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto you in order, O most excellent Theophilus, that you might know the certainty of those things wherein you have been instructed. Now, the gospel we call Luke, Luke's gospel, has 24 chapters. Was it written to an audience that he hoped to convert to a religion? Or was it written to one man? It says here, this letter, this, this written document... That's what the Bible is. The Bible you have there is a collection of written historical documents. Now, they're much more than that. But they include that. They are that. Amen. Luke, what you have in Luke, is just an additional work of history that has been preserved through the centuries. It is a man writing to another man about what? Let me read part of that uh, in a more modern translation. It'll make it out better. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. And Luke recorded for Theophilus what Jesus did, where he was born, what his family line was. Come on. Amen. Amen. His teachings, his happening in various villages and different meetings. And then the day, amen, that Jesus of Nazareth was arrested in Jerusalem, was in interrogated and, and ultimately crucified, died, buried, and reported alive, seen alive, what you have there is an eyewitness written account from history. Yeah. Amen. Glory to God. So going back to this concept that the resurrection is one of the most provable uh, Facts in history. I, I have just a couple of short 
uh, testimonies here uh, that I printed out. I'm just going to read them to you real quick. So there is a man, I understand his name was Dr. Simon Greenleaf. Never heard the name until yesterday. But apparently he's a world-famous and renowned royal professor of law. He became the Dane Professor of Law at Harvard University. He was the driving force behind the rise to prominence of Harvard Law School. Okay, And he wrote, apparently, a three-volume work called The Treatise on Law of Evidence. He wrote the principles about the laws of evidence, about how you could prove something legally. Are you with me? And it is still considered one of the greatest single authorities on the subject in the entire literature of legal procedure. Now, Dr. Greenleaf was a skeptic who believed the resurrection of Christ to be a hoax. He often mocked Christians in their classes. One day, Christians in their class challenged him to take the three volumes on the laws of evidence that he wrote and apply them to what history recorded about the resurrection of Jesus and determine the truth or falseness based on his principles he authored. After careful investigation, Dr. Greenleaf became a Christian. <laughs> he went on to write a book about his search. Greenleaf came to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the best established, more provable events in history according to the laws of legal evidence. He stated, the conclusion is clear. According to the laws of legal evidence used in the court of law, there is more evidence to prove the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ than for almost any other event in history. Let me tell you about another guy. His name was Frank or is Frank Morrison. He is described as a very rationalistic lawyer. He believed that the Bible was full of fables and fairy tales. You ever heard that? That's what he believed. Specifically, the story of the resurrection of Christ. He felt the story of Jesus was matchless without the story of the resurrection ruining it. He felt he owed it to himself and others to write a book that presented the truth about Jesus and dispel the myth of the resurrection once and for all time. Upon studying the facts, however, he came to a different conclusion. And he became convinced of the resurrection of Christ being an undeniable fact of history. He said the sheer weight of the evidence compelled him to conclude that Jesus actually did raise from the dead. Morrison did write a book, but one that was different than he had planned to write. There was a man named C.S. Lewis. He was a professor of literature at Cambridge University and was a literary genius and scholar who believed Christians were wrong. Being a hard and fast atheist, he sought to refute the claims of Jesus Christ and Christianity regarding the resurrection of Christ. After thoroughly investigating the literary claims and, and evidence, Lewis concluded that other religions make no such historical claim like Christianity does. Using his knowledge of literary principles and li literary criticism, Lewis concluded that the Gospels were factual, historical documents, not myths and fables and fairy tales. 
Finally, contrary to his strong stand against Christianity, after three years of study and research, and I expect probably most of you will leave this place and do no further research. <laughs> but this is why I'm presenting to you. Here are people who believe the other way, who were trained in critical thought and law and evidence. Amen. Who did extensive research, and I'm telling you what their results were. Amen? After three years of study and research, C.S. Lewis gave his life to Christ. The last guy I want to tell you about is a man, maybe you've heard of him, his name is Lee Strobel. He's alive today. He was a skeptical atheist who thought the idea of God was stupid. Lee used his journalism and legal training to investigate the evidence of Christianity. Strobel stated, For most of my life I was an atheist. I thought the idea of an all-loving, all-powerful creator of the universe, I thought it was just stupid. I mean, my background is in journalism and law. I tend to be a very skeptical person. I was the legal editor of the Chicago Tribune, so I needed evidence before I'd believe anything. After his agnostic wife had decided to become a follower of Christ, after a period of spiritual investigation, Lee thought her decision to join this cult would end his marriage. However, he also saw positive changes in her values, in her character, in the way she related to him and her children and his children. Her changes made him want to check things out. Now I could go and preach on that. If you're married to a turkey who doesn't believe, live your life in Christ before them. Live the Christian life in front of them. Let them see your transformed self. And when they act sinful and dirty and unkind and selfish, don't act in kind. Be a, be a real Christian. And so Lee decided to use his journalism training and legal training to begin an investigation into whether there was any credibility to Christianity or to any other world faith system for that matter. After one year and nine months of research, atheist Lee Strobel stated, I realized in the light of the torrent of evidence flowing in the direction of the truth of Christianity, it would require more faith for me to maintain my atheism than to become a Christian. Because to be an atheist, I would have to swim upstream against the torrent of evidence pointing toward the truth about Jesus Christ. He said, I couldn't do that. I was trained in journalism and law to respond to truth. And so on that day, I received Jesus Christ as my forgiver and as my leader. I want you to listen to Lee Strobel for a couple of minutes. I like to look at the evidence for the resurrection in four categories. The first one is, did Jesus die on the cross? Was he dead? Virtually every scholar on planet Earth concedes that Jesus was dead after crucifixion. We have no record of anyone anywhere ever surviving a full Roman crucifixion. Uh, even the Journal of the American Medical Association uh, published a peer-reviewed scientific medical study of the evidence for the death of Jesus and said clearly the weight of the evidence indicates that Jesus was dead even before the wound to his side was inflicted. Even the atheist New Testament scholar, Gerd Ludeman, says historically it's indisputable 
that Jesus was dead. So Jesus was dead. The second category of evidence is the early accounts we have for the resurrection. In other words, I used to think as an atheist that the resurrection was a legend, and that took a long time to develop in the ancient world. But what I learned is that we have preserved for us a creed of the earliest Christian church, a creed that is a eyewitness-based report of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, this creed has been dated back by scholars to within months of the death of Jesus within months. That is historical gold. So we've got a newsflash from ancient history on the resurrection. Third category of evidence is the empty tomb. And the best evidence for that is even the opponents of Jesus implicitly admitted the tomb was empty. Because when the disciples began proclaiming that Jesus had risen, what the opponents said was, oh, well, um, the disciples stole the body. Now they're conceding the tomb's empty. They're just trying to explain how it got empty. So everybody's conceding the tomb was empty. How did it get empty is really the issue, and that goes to the fourth category of evidence, which is eyewitnesses. You know, for most of what we know about ancient history, it comes from one or maybe two sources of information. And yet, for the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the resurrected Jesus, we have no fewer than nine ancient sources, inside and outside the New Testament, confirming and corroborating the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the risen Christ. That is an avalanche of historical data. So you put all that together and you have a really good case for Easter. Open your Bibles to 1 John. Y'all doing okay? Amen. Amen. 1 John. We saw that Luke, his letter was intended. He didn't know he was going to be part of the Bible. To be an eyewitness account to a man named Theophilus. Another man who lived during the time of Jesus, knew him personally, and was really one of the closest human beings to the man Jesus of Nazareth, was a man we know as John. He wrote a number of letters, including his gospel, what we call the Gospel of John. We were just reading from there. This is a letter he wrote. It's in the end of the New Testament in 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. I want to read verses 1 through 4 in the New Living Translation. Amen. And uh, a comment about it. It says in verse 1, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have what? Heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. Now if you read his earlier writings, you know that he means we touched him and saw him with our own hands and eyes before he died and after he was risen. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify. What is this letter? Testimony. And proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was, uh, excuse me, and then he was. We proclaim to you, verse uh, 3, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have act, actually seen and heard so that you can have fellowship with us. Notice again, John is writing what they saw, what they heard. Now, you don't want to believe it, that's fine. But what you have to have is, is understand it's eyewitness testimony. Now, even in our land today, we commit people... We sentence them guilty, judge them guilty, 
and sentenced them some, in some states and instances to death on one reliable eyewitness account. One person with reliability and credibility that says, I saw them, that person, do that. Amen. I have yet to be able to add up the personal eyewitness accounts, the number of them in the Bible. But at my last count, it is about it is approaching 515 people testified historically that they saw Jesus after he had been raised from the dead. 500. Mary, Mary Magdalene, all the 12, uh, the one we know as the Apostle Paul, there's a lady named Salome, amen. In one instance, Jesus appeared to a group of 500 people at one time. Amen. Listen, deny the resurrection and live selfishly and sinfully if you want to, but I don't have that, I'm not going to do it. Amen. People will say that the gospel writers, let's just take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do you know how they died? Do you know they all died in defense of what they said they saw, what they said they heard? And all, now Judas Iscariot killed himself, so you have 11. All 11 saved John. John lived out his natural life. Not that evil men didn't try to kill him. Emperor Nero boiled him in hot oil. He just wouldn't die. Another historical fact for you. All the other 11, amen, plus Luke here, amen, uh, died. Now, people say what they wrote, they lied about it. What they said they saw, they lied about it. Well, we have to address that. Could they have lied about it? They could have fabricated the whole thing. They could have li just, just lied about it. Got together, collaborated, even though the books are stacked up next to each other. <laughs> They didn't have a lot of contact with each other after Pentecost, after a few weeks after the resurrection. The thing is, now, people said this, you know, a lot of people have died for a lie. Is that true? A lot of people have died for a lie. Yes, that's true. Muslim terrorists, amen, die for a lie. The promise of 70 virgins. The problem with that is, yes, they died believing a lie, but they believed it was true. Those precious people, that they, they, they died for a lie, but they believed it was true. You have to ask yourself, do you believe that Luke died for a lie he knew was a lie? And you'd have to believe that all 11 of them, plus many more, died for a lie they knew was a lie. What would they get? Well, why? What would they have to stand to gain to do that? Amen. Do you know? Let me tell you how Mark died. Mark, who wrote the gospel, his his you know gospel we call Gospel of Mark, he was dragged to pieces by unbelievers in Alexandria. All he had to do was say, "I lied about it. I, I renounce it." He didn't do that. Luke was hanged on a tree to death. Matthew is said to have been, uh, there's a couple of historical reports about him, but the most I saw said that he was crucified in Ethiopia. 
Only John lived out his natural life of the four, but I told you how greatly he suffered for his faith. Amen. Do, did they, you think they died for a lie? Amen. Let's watch this other short video real quick. Praise the Lord. Can you hold the Bible in your hands and say it is true? I can trust it is reliable. Over a number of segments, I've dealt with a lot of issues uh, concerning the reliability of the Bible. But what I'd like to do now is switch to the third reason or reasoning that convinced me that I could hold the New Testament in my hand and say not only what I have is what was written down, but what was written down was true. Jesus actually did that and said that. Now, this line of reason is based upon this. Listen carefully, because you've probably maybe heard this before, but listen to the way that I present it. Um, here were 12 men, uh, the apostles. 11 of the 12 died martyrs' deaths. John died in exile. Judas was replaced. 11 of the 12 died martyrs' deaths. Went through horrible torture, some of the worst torture in history, which I document in my books. And they went through it for one reason. In their own words, and this is important, in their own words, in the book of Acts in the New Testament, in chapter 1, in the first three verses, they say this, that after they saw him killed, crucified, and buried, that meant four professional Roman executioners would have signed his death warrant that he was dead, that he was buried. But in their own words, they said, on the third day, he was raised from the dead and that he lived with them and walked with them. Now get this, with many convincing proofs over a period of 40 days, not 40 hours, not four hours or four days, for 40 days. They said after he was killed and buried, he appeared to them with overwhelming evidence. And even going on to say he appeared to over 500 at one time. And Paul said, the majority of them are alive right now. Go check it out for yourself. Now, a lot of people in the university say to me, well, Josh, a lot of people have died for a lie. So what's the big deal? You know they're right. A lot of people have died for a lie. So you say, well, why is this so significant? For this reason. Yes, a lot of people have died for a lie. But they always believed it was the truth. Now, you hear me? Yes, a lot of people died for lies, but they always believed it was the truth. Now, here's the catch. And this is what I struggle with as a non-believer in university. If the resurrection was a lie, they had to know it. Look, in their own words, they said for 40 days, they lived with him with many convincing proofs that he'd been raised from the dead. And if that wasn't true, then they had to know it. If the resurrection wasn't true, they had to know it, and then you'd have to say this. They not only died for a lie, but they knew it was a lie. If that were true, that would be 11 miracles greater than the miracle of the resurrection. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's begin to wind down here. Matthew, let's go to Matthew. Hallelujah. You know the resurrection is a historical fact upon which our faith is established. Hallelujah. 
And it's not a blind faith. Right? We aren't practicing some antiquated, uncultured, out-of-date, not relevant book or faith. Amen? But a living Savior. A risen Savior born again. I want to read this passage just because, almost just because I think it's hilarious. Amen. Uh, praise God. Uh, find Matthew 27 all the way down to verse 50. Just going to read some verses here. And then uh, we're going to get ready to, amen, wind the sermon. And we're going to give you an opportunity if you want to give your life to Jesus to do that today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In verse 50 it says, Jesus, when he had cried again, he's up on the cross. With a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost or his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept, that means died, arose. And came out of the graves after his resurrection. <laughs> Think about this. Three days later, not only is Jesus back alive in Jerusalem, Many graves were opened in, I've been in Jerusalem one time, all down one mountainside, it's nothing but a big cemetery. Can you imagine at, the, at his death, all those graves pop open, and three days later when Jesus walks out of the tomb, a whole bunch of people walk back into Jerusalem. You were just at Grandpa's funeral, you know, a week ago, and he shows up for Sunday dinner. You can't tell me that there's not, you know rumor going around of this happening in a very populated city you know and that's why this is such a historically documented event amen praise god the graves were open and many bodies of the saints which died arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many put yourself there now when the centurion now this is not a disciple not a believer He's in the employ of Pilate, the governor. He's not a believer in Jesus. When the centurion, the soldier, and they that were with him, the Roman guard, watching Jesus. What were they doing? Uh, the guy on the video referred to it. The Pharisees remembered that Jesus claimed on the third day he would rise again. We'll read about it in a minute. He goes to Pilate and says, I remember this deceiver said that he was going to rise again, set soldiers and seal the tomb. Guard the tomb until after the third day, lest the disciples steal the body and claim, and the fraud in the end be worse than the fraud that he propagated in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. And so the centurion, amen, that was watching Jesus, he saw the earthquake and those things that were done, and they feared greatly, saying, truly this was the Son of God. Notice, those that were part of crucifying him, not believers, acknowledged in that moment that Jesus was the Son of God. Skip all the way down to 58. He went, now this is Joseph of Arimathea. He was a closet follower of Jesus. After his death, he went to Pilate and begged for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock, and he rolled a great stone, not a small stone, a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Now, the next day that followed the day of preparation, that's a Jewish holiday day, 
the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, While he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure, or that means secure, right? Until the third day, lest the disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. So see, the enemies of Jesus are actually trying to do everything they can to protect against exactly what we believe. It's not like this fraud that millions upon millions of people have fallen for, right? Look at all the things they tried to do to prevent it. Pilate said unto them, You have a watch. Uh, go your way, make it as sure or secure as you can. I mean, no doubt he put swat on it. Go into the 28th chapter, verse 1. In, at the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn, toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers. Now, if you have King James Bible like mine, that means the soldiers. The enemies of Jesus, they are employed by Rome, right? The keepers did shake and became as dead men. They fainted. And the angel answered, in, big babies, and the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, you, uh, for you know, for you for, excuse me, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come lay, come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly, tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Verse 8, and they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring the disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Howdy! All hail. And they came, held him by the feet, and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Don't be afraid. Go tell your brethren that they go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. Now look at this. This is so funny. Verse 11. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch. Some of the watch. Who's this? The guards picked themselves up, changed their underwear, they came into the city, and they showed or they told the chief priests, enemies of Jesus, all the things that were done. Notice, enemies of Jesus, unbelievers of Jesus, told. They told what happened. They told about the angel. They told about the tomb. They told about fainting. They told, if, right, or maybe they didn't. Maybe they hid that. I don't know. But they told them these things. And when they were assembled with the elders, again, religious leaders, enemies of Jesus, and had taken counsel, they gave large money. How would we say that today? Big money. Bribe money. They gave big money. Why? Listen, if the resurrection wasn't true, why give big money? Why pay off all these officials? I'm becoming more convinced. I think I might get saved today. <laughs> Praise God. This is all in this writing that Matthew wrote. Amen. And so they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Now this is hilarious. Say you, his disciples came by night 
and stole him away while we slept. Now, can you imagine? It had to be a big payoff. Because if Pilate, their boss, and he surely would, found out that he gave them the charge to guard that tomb, and they said of their own word that they fell asleep, what is Pilate going to do? Off with their head. They had to have enough money to boogie out of town. They're going to become Syrians by the afternoon. You know what I mean? They are out of there. They are headed to the border. They're going to Mexico. Did y'all realize this is all in the Bible? Amen. And notice this. He says, and if this news comes to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. I wrote my Bible. Yeah, right. <laughs> so they took the money and they did as they were told. Thus saying, and thus the saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. I'm telling you guys, Jesus, he was raised from the dead. Now, with a couple of minutes, I just want to close with this. The resurrection is a historical, provable fact. What does, then, the resurrection mean to you? Well, just quickly, number one, the resurrection means that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. He is deity. He is the Son of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, that he was declared to be the Son of God by his being raised from the dead. So even his executioners, as we read about, recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. My, this is what the resurrection means for you and those of you that are watching and listening. Uh, will you acknowledge Jesus, the man from Nazareth, as the Son of God? Will you or won't you? He that has the Son, John says, has life. He that does not have the Son does not have life. That's what the resurrection means for you. Number two, the resurrection means that Jesus is all he ever claimed to be. And he claimed to be a deliverer. He claimed to be a savior. He claimed to be Lord. He claimed to be king. He claimed to be God in the flesh. It also means that everything he taught about heaven, everything he taught about hell, Everything he taught about right and wrong and every command he gave should be believed and heeded and we should take the warning. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did any other subject. And his resurrection validates everything he claimed, everything he said, everything he taught. Number three, the resurrection means to you and me that Jesus was successful <laughs> and victorious in his mission to pay the price for your sin and mine. Amen. He was successful in purchasing a redemption that would make forgiveness of our sins available. It means he was successful in conquering death, hell, the grave, Satan, demons, and the curse. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Number four, the resurrection means for you and me that for those of us who believe in him, that we too have the promise of being raised from the dead. The Bible says that he is the firstborn from among the dead. And when I think about Deacon Dennis, and when I think about Brother Bill Hopper, and when I think about Dad Harold, recent brothers and who have gone to heaven in the last few years out of this church, amen, their bodies are in the ground, but their souls and their spirits are with the Lord, and we will see them again one day. 
your loved one. Come on, your believing grandmother, grandpa, son, daughter, the baby you lost in the womb. God has them. He is the resurrection and the life. The resurrection gives us proof and assurance of it all. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Because God raised up the Lord, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 14, He also will raise us up by His power. Number five, the resurrection means hope. No doubt we have doctrinal differences. Christians all across the land, we believe different things. But the resurrection brings us all together. And no matter what you are enduring right now, no matter what you have gone through, no matter what you've done, amen, whatever you will have to endure before this earthly life is over, the resurrection gives us assurance and a living confidence that the moment my heart stops beating, my, I've really begun to have my best day that I'm going to step out of this body and I'm going to see him face to face. Death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't stop him. Amen. He's alive. I have hope. I have hope in hard times. When I just think about my own mortality and getting older every day, knowing that one day should he tarry his coming, this body will wear out and die. He's the resurrection. He's the life. Do you have this hope, friends? You can have this hope. And you should. Finally, number six. The resurrection guarantees a future day of judgment on every human being. Acts 17.31, my last scripture, says this. Because God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Friends, there is a coming day of judgment to planet earth. Amen. And to every human, every soul. Jesus came on a mission to save you. He came to open up the door. So that the sins you have committed, the transgressions, the laws you broke, the ungodliness you have committed against God can be cleansed and forgiven. That you could be made a brand new person, become his son or daughter, have the promise of eternal life, have a whole lot of victory down here, love him, serve him, know him, delight in him, and live with him forever. Would you bow your heads? Father, in the name of Jesus, I've done my best to present the gospel of good news as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus today. I pray for the believers that are here that they learn something about their faith. They learn something about the Bible. They learn something about how wonderfully established and provable The resurrection is the linchpin of our faith as Christians. And that their faith has been renewed and strengthened. To hold fast. He really is alive. He loves us so much. 
He wants to be involved in everyday life. But God, we lift up those that could be among us, watching, listening, who have never yet confessed Jesus as Lord. The Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. To deny the resurrection is to join the ranks of the unbelieving and the damned. But to confess and believe in the resurrection and to confess Jesus as Lord is to be changed, to be cleansed, to be forgiven, and to be brought back into fellowship with God. The choice belongs to each person. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today, watching today, or listening, and you would like to confess Jesus and express with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that God did in fact raise Jesus from the dead so that you could be saved, boldly throw your hand up in the air so that I can see it. Just throw your hand up in the air so that I can see it. I see that young hand back there. God bless you. I see that hand. I see a hand over here. Praise God. You can put your hand down now. Hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory. Praise God. If you're watching on one of our platforms, tell us on the chat feature. Type in a comment. Say, that's me. Pray for me. Praise God. I can't see you. You can see me, though, but they'll tell me. They'll let me know. My technicians will. Hallelujah. What about you? You made a commitment to God one day in your life like that, but you have not been living as if He is alive. You've been living in sin, living in the world, not living a committed life, a faithful life to your Savior. And today, on Resurrection Sunday, you want to rededicate your life to God. If that's you, throw your hand up in the air. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to rededicate my life to Jesus. I see your hand. Praise God. Praise God. Anyone else in the auditorium? Hallelujah. Yeah, I saw your hand, sweetie. You can put it down. Praise God. Praise God. Anyone else? Glory, glory. Yeah, I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. I'm going to pray in a minute. Hallelujah. Now many, many, many will watch this service later on our replays. I want you to contact us and let us know. Pray the prayer I'm about to offer. Mean it with your heart. Say it with your mouth. God will meet you. And after that's over and when he does, let us know the decision you made. We want to celebrate with you. We want to make ourselves available to you. Let's all pray this prayer of salvation and rededication with these that have raised their hands. All right, congregation? Say, Father, I believe beyond doubt with all of my heart that you are God, that Jesus is your son, and that you raised him from the dead. That he is alive today. He died for my sin. He was buried to pay my price. Jesus, thank you. Please forgive me of my every sin and all of the wrong. I confess it to you. I take you as my Savior. I give you my life. Take it all. 
just as I am. Live in me. And now teach me the way that I should go, the way that I should live, what I need to know to please you as I live. I'm saved now. Thank you. Thank you. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me to overflowing. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to invite everyone to stand up on their feet today. Did you get something out of that? Something that you didn't know? Praise God. Maybe a lot you knew, but you got stirred up about again. Amen. Glory to God. Praise God. Praise God. Well, Father, I just extend my hand of faith out over this precious congregation. I thank you. I ask you to bless every man, woman, boy, girl, family. Give them safety today as we travel to our homes, our family destinations. Thank you, Father God, for living big and doing big and great things in and through and for each of us. God, help us as we encounter the world to be a light that shines bright. And that, God, that you would embolden us to share our faith with others so that they could, too could be saved. I bless them and I thank you for their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.